from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Podcast episode 253, Toys That Time Forgot, Volume 3. I'm your host, Ryan, and welcome back, everyone. Uh, I know it has been a while since I have done a Star Joe's regular episode. I know I've been putting out the Patreon episodes, but hey, they've been free during the pandemic, so you still are getting awesome entertainment and a lot of fun. But it has been a while since we've done a regular Star Joe's episode that wasn't tied into Patreon, so uh, when I saw this book coming out on Kickstarter... I was like, I have to get this guy on. I wanted to have him on for when I saw Volume 1 come out and when Volume 2 came out. And that is a thousand percent on me, not on him. Because as I've mentioned in past episodes, a lot of times when I'm like, oh, I want to have somebody on. I just, then the time passes and I didn't do it. And it's my own damn fault. So uh, I wasn't going to let it happen this time, though. Uh, first, uh, joining me for this uh, wonderful, fun time interview and talking about the Kickstarter is uh, none other than Mr. Eric Grubb. Welcome back to the show, Eric. Hello. <laughs> uh, always love having you come back on. Um, I said before we started recording that uh, I should just we'll just make you a host too. We'll just make everybody Yay. host. <laughs> like at, at this point, like I think you've made other people hosts that haven't been on nearly as much as I. Have. Oh yeah, you've been on a ton. So yeah, um, <laughs> especially like in the last year. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, and God, you've been with us since almost the very beginning. So uh, like episode like. 12 or 13 or something. Yeah, something around there. So I'd say after 200 some episodes, yeah, you could just, we could just make you a host. So, uh, <laughs> and you did pick the con in my backyard to go to, for everyone to, uh, converge at every year. That is true. That is very true. So, uh, but Eric is not alone with us. Uh, I mentioned, uh, as you could tell from the title, Toys That Time Forgot. Uh, if you have not backed this Kickstarter in the past for these books, they are, uh, I'm not saying this just because the guy is on here. I've said this many times. These books are absolutely incredible. Uh, if you are 
I mean, come on. If you're listening to the show, you are into all of this stuff. Uh, so this should be top of the radar. It should already be in your library. He's done volume one. He's done volume two. He is now working on getting out volume three out to everyone. Uh, for Toys That Time Forgot, uh, Mr. Blake Wright, thank you for joining us today. Hey, no problem, guys. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Blake, uh, you have Volume 3 out there right now. Uh, we are absolutely going to talk about that and talk about all the fun stuff that you're doing with that. Uh, but since our audience doesn't really know you, and I, I don't know you other than being connected with you on, on Facebook and stuff like that and the things you've done for these books... Um, I know that you started these books about six years ago. Is that correct? Yeah, that's yeah, that's roughly roughly about six years ago. Okay, um, but I know that your collecting and your love for this stuff goes way before six years ago. <laughs> so, so give us a little little taste of what you were like, what it was like for you growing up. Like, obviously, I assume a lot of these toys that you are doing research now on everything else, the ones that actually did come out. Um, you know, what was it like for you growing up? Like, did, did you get into a lot of different properties? Did you stick with one? Did, you know, what was, what were toys like for you growing up? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm, I was a Star Wars kid. Uh, so May of 77, I was old. So it was right. So when Star Wars came out, it was, you know, right in my wheelhouse and, you know, went to the, went to the, theater and saw it and was mesmerized just like every other eight-year-old probably was and got uh signed up for the early bird kit as soon as i could uh and you know rode the star wars train all the way through uh, uh the beginning of return of the jedi i guess I, I sort of slacked off on on toys in general towards my uh you know becoming a teenager i suppose sure uh but yeah, definitely Star Wars was, was a big, a big thrust of my, uh, of my childhood. Uh, didn't get into Joe's too much. Uh, a little bit of He-Man, uh, here and there as well mixed in, but, uh, the, the big passion as a kid was Star Wars for sure. Gotcha. Nice. So, um, so then obviously, yeah. And we've talked about you, your story sounds very similar to a lot of ours where it's like you go through those teenage years and it's, there's music and girls and a lot of other things that take up your time. Uh, when, when did you start getting back into toys and, and the love of them again? I think I actually wrote this in uh, one of the introductions to one of the books. Can't remember which one. Maybe it was the second volume. Uh, I was uh, in college, or no, just out of college, I guess, and um, was in, yeah, I was out of college because I was in the store. I was in, with my mom, uh, who we were shopping, birthday shopping for my nephew, and we were in Toys R Us, and I hadn't been in a Toys R Us in years, um, and was walking. We were walking around uh, because he was a uh, pretty much a baby. We were in the play school type aisles and i just wandered over to 7c because i hadn't seen an action figure aisle and i don't know how long <laughs> uh, kind of just walked up and down and this is the mid 90s so it's it was a little depressing uh, <laughs> uh but as i got towards the end of the aisle i there was this familiar box sitting there and it was a star wars land speeder Oh, nice. And I was like, what the hell is that? 
And so I picked it up and it looked like the land speeder that, that I had when I was a kid, but the figures that were in the speeder on the box didn't look like the vintage figures that I had as a kid. <laughs> like, uh, okay. And I looked, I flipped around and I saw the, you know, the, the date was 95 on the box, I think. And, uh, it was orange, big orange saber uh, logo, Power of the Force. And I'm like, okay, this is bizarre. And it was $9.99. And I opened up my wallet, and being a fresh kid fresh out of college, I didn't have any money. So just like I would, yeah. I would have done when I was eight years old, I took that box over to my mother and asked her to buy it for me. And she gave me, you know, Raise your eyebrow at me a little bit, but then she took it and put it in the cart. And, uh, and that kick started collecting again for me. That's uh, awesome. I started getting all when the power of the, I went, you know, I went to work the next day and, and I was a journalist. Um, and I have been all my career, but I went to work the next day and got on the news wires and, you know, searched Hasbro Star Wars and found the press release that had been released. Maybe, I don't know, uh, few months previous about how they were going to reintroduce uh star wars uh, uh ahead of what would be you know the prequel movies um and it was just uh the memories come flooding back and uh for the next you know several years i would uh i would collect um the the, the 90s power of the force line up through uh episode one episode two and then right around episode three, it's always the third movie that gets me. <laughs> uh, I, I started off again. I started looking at just classic toys in general around that same time. So I went back during my, during the, the Star Wars Renaissance. I went back and, you know, I, I connected with some collector friends and uh, a couple of the guys had really good connections to the vintage communities um, around. And I remember I gave my my really good friend a thousand dollars, and this must have been nineteen ninety six ninety seven. Okay. I gave him a thousand dollars and said, "Put me to put together a nice loose mint vintage set for me," and he did it. That's awesome. For a thousand dollars. Wow. You can't, can't buy you can't do that now. <laughs> the last seventeen lose complete for a thousand dollars now. It seems like yeah. But uh, so yeah, I went back and got uh, you know all the loose vintage stuff and and then I started poking around other lines that you know I was like oh wow that was kind of cool back then and I just slowly started collecting both older uh, you know older lines uh, and some of the newer. Toys beyond Star Wars. I, I was big into the Playmates Simpsons line when it came out. Okay. Uh, 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 started collecting a little bit of that. Uh, had some. Uh, I really liked um, the Restore Speed Racer line when it came out. Had the had the Speed Racer and the Mach Five and all this stuff. And um, but I've always been kind of a catch and release collector. I've okay. never really hung on to stuff for very long. And this was no different. I mean, I had a room, a, a, my complete upstairs at my house was, it was like a bonus room, uh, like a game room that was just, you, know, you walk up the stairs and the, there's one big room and that's it. 
Um, and that was all toys for a, a good portion of the, of me being in that house. And, but eventually I wanted to move on to other things. So we, we flipped that entire room and turned it into a, uh, like a in-home theater. Oh, nice. And, uh, sent my toys, uh, off to, to be enjoyed by other collectors. Wow. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, the thrill of the hunt was, was my, was the big attraction for me, um, back then and still is now to a degree. Gotcha. That's awesome. So, uh, so now you, you get back into it. Like you said, you're, uh, you, you like hunting these things down and everything else. What motivated you to then do these books? Like, uh, obviously I assume through hunting, you found out that there was toys that never got produced and probably made you curious what turned you from that to then going i i want to do a book on these things yeah uh, um well the big motivation behind the book was i wanted i wanted the book personally <laughs> I, I get that i wanted i totally understand that <laughs> yeah I, I wanted someone to write a book about unproduced toys and um it didn't look like anybody was gonna you know jump uh, at, at the chance to 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 latch onto that and go really um investigate it uh so the longer version of the story is, is back in 2012 i launched an online guitar magazine called gearphoria uh and when initially when it was launched it was it was a quarterly so I, it was one issue every three months and um after the first year, it was successful enough that I was fairly excited about the prospect of, you know, the online magazine as a, as just a, a, a product in general. Um, so I started investigating, finding out maybe there's another industry that I can take this template that I've created for the guitar magazine and uh, create another magazine for an, a different uh, following. So I poked around, was looking around. This is again 2013 or so. And by 2011, all of the toy magazines had gone. I think Toy Fair was the last one. Uh, well, I guess Tomart's hung on for a little bit, but it was very sporadic. Um, so I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a toy guy at heart. So why don't I launch a little toy magazine? Nice. So for the entire year of 2014, in between the issues of Gearphoria, I produced uh, an issue of what became Little Plastic Men magazine. And, uh, you know, basically I took the Gearphoria model and everywhere there was a guitar or an amp or an effect pedal, I put in a play set, a vehicle, or an action figure. Nice. So it was like really um, very, uh, uh, almost like a seamless transition. Uh, between the industries for whatever reason. And um, in each issue, there was a recurring column called prototypically unproductive. And that was all about unproduced toys. So that those four issues that I put out in 2014 covered sector series two and earthworm gym series two and the sale of soda toys and Palisades Sesame street. I think were the four uh, columns that I wrote. 
Oh, that, and, that Palisades uh, Sesame Street one I know hits hits us pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. Eric and I are both uh, have in the uh, past and will meet still currently are deep, deep, deep in the Palisades stuff. <laughs> so that so so each of those cha- each of those entries in the magazine actually became chapters in Volume One, I think. Yeah, uh, we just expanded on them. Um, but at the end of 2014, it was it became evident that. This was not going to make any money. It wasn't going to make money like the guitar magazine made money. Gotcha. Because the model I created for the guitar magazine was it would be ad revenue driven, free to read online, but any money I got would be from ads. Uh, works great for the guitar industry, works crappy for the toy industry. Gotcha. Uh, so I should have made Little Plastic Men a pay to read uh, deal. But uh, by the time we'd gotten to the point to where uh, it was getting to be the end of 2014 and I was just kind of, I put out, you know, eight magazines that year, almost single handedly. And so it was, and plus I had a day job. This wasn't something that I was right. doing. For, um, this was a total side gig. And, uh, I just said, well, I think that'll be it for the, for the toy magazine. I had a good run, but if I got to be able to generate a little bit of money to keep going, um, so it was one of those things where, you know, you never hear from anybody until you try to take something away from them. Uh, <laughs> so I announced that LPM was going away and I started getting all these emails about, Oh man, you know, we really enjoyed the magazine and, uh, you know, yada, 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 great. You know, wish you could keep going. And I even got a phone call. How the guy got my phone number. I have no idea <laughs> from a guy in Jersey. And we were, he was on the phone with me for two hours trying to give me all these different ways to monetize the magazine. But at that point I'd pretty much given it up. I was like, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but you know, I'm, I'm wore out and I, you know, I got to focus on what actually generates revenue at this point. Yeah. So, but you know, I was, I was humbled by the response and I was like, okay, well maybe I'll do one more issue and it'll all be these unproduced toys because that's the, that's the thing that people kept, you know, gravitating towards during the, the year run. But the more I looked into it and the more I dug around and talked to folks and poked around the Internet's dark corners and started gathering this information, I was like, you know, this really deserves to be more than just a PDF on the Internet. Somebody should write a book on this stuff. And so fairly innocently, uh, I put together 20 pages, just dummied them up of, on an iPad of what a book like that might look like. <laughs> And I went to Toy Fair in February of 2015 because I, I still had the magazine was still going, quote unquote, um, uh, as a uh, as a concern as far as the Toy Association knew. Sure. So I still had my press credentials. Uh, um, and so I went around to, you know, my friends at NECA and Super 7 and Playmates and all this stuff and handed them the iPad. And ask them to talk me out of doing it. <laughs> and I would imagine anyone that loves toys was doing nothing but encouraging you to do it. <laughs> Nobody did. Everybody was, you know, fairly excited about it. Which, you know, for for some some of the smaller guys or whatever, not surprising so much. But sure. some of the bigger companies that actually were okay with it. I mean, because ultimately you're asking them to talk about their failures. Right. Um, but you know, some of this stuff is so far removed and we were talking, you know, 40 years, 
30 years, however much, you know, however long you want to go back, a lot of the sting is wore off by now. A lot of the companies had, you know, executive turnover where the people who were involved with those projects aren't even there anymore or hadn't been there for decades. Um, so it was kind of, I think people saw the idea of preserving the history and preserving the art form yeah. as something that I was passionate about. And so they decided, like, well, hey, you know, give it a shot. What can it hurt? Well, and I would imagine, too, like, um, even for people that maybe were involved, I would think, the, like you said, the initial sting of it, of the toy line going away or never being produced or anything like that, that may have gone away. But also, like, they put a lot of hard work into it. So to see something that never got produced finally produced in some form must have had some type of reward for them also. And that's true. That, 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 that is very true. Uh, so now with, with the books, so you've, you've done this in the first two books, and I saw you're going to do it in the, in the third book also. You have uh, three sections. There's the Golden Age, which is the 1980s, uh, the Darker Times, the 1990s, and the Gilded Age, which is the 2000s, uh, mm-hmm. and that's how you kind of separate out. So what were the thought processes with those, with titling those that way, and uh, and how did you come about with the idea that you wanted to separate them into, like, those three eras? Yeah, the um, I think the real, uh, the, the first reason was I just didn't want to call it 80s, 90s, and aughts. Gotcha. Uh, and I wanted to be able to call it something to where, yes, that's loosely what it is, but if there's bleed over, then I'm not, you know, caught by saying, well, actually, that started in 1979, not 1980 or whatever. <laughs> right. So you'll see that, you know, like Star Wars, you know, started in the late 70s, but it's in the book, you right. know, in the Golden Age, um, uh, you know, Volume 1 or what have you, because we're talking about, you know, the toys that, that should have came out in 80, you know, 85 with the right. droids and the books. Um, I think the golden age is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, the eighties was the height of, oh, yeah. of, of action figure, uh, consumption, uh, uh, for kids. I mean, that was just, I mean, and definitely the height of the, of the action figure playset. I mean, some of the, right. you know, great, enormous, awesome, old, Play sets. It seemed like every line, no matter how big or small, had you know at least one, uh, maybe two, and uh, and and a bunch of vehicles to go along with it. Um, so that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, darker times, and maybe people who grew up in the '90s will disagree with me, but it just seemed like the '90s, at least in the in the initial uh, years up until uh, the second half of the decade. Things were just not not as focused, I guess, as it was in the 80s. Uh, the attention to detail maybe slacked off a little bit. Toys got a little simpler, um, you know, and there was a whole era of, like, gross-out toys in the 90s, and everything was really extreme in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the things, everything was exaggerated and um, – and everything had to be, you know, to the max or whatever. I mean, look at poor Luke Skywalker's chest, uh, from, from the 1995 Power of the Force line. Uh, and you'll see, you know, how, how broad and He-Man-esque he looked. Yeah. Um, yeah. so everything was just over exaggerated and it was kind of, 
you know, just not the bright light that the eighties was. And I think that's what, that's where darker times came from. Gotcha. Uh, the Gilded Age came in because we saw so many boutique style, uh, toy companies emerge uh, with just some fantastic product. When, and when I'm talking about boutique places, I'm talking about soda and Palisades and, um, you know, a lot of these companies that really hit their stride, you know, NECA was, was starting to hit their stride. Then McFarlane had, you know, of course been around, but was really starting to flex its, uh, flex its muscles. Yeah. Well, you actually bring up the whole, that, you know, Gilded Age type of era. Like I actually worked for Toys R Us from 2001 until 2005. Right. And well, I, was know, where, I was the warehouse supervisor, so all that stuff used to come through my hands. And I remember seeing, like, you know, the, the Muppets, uh, the Playmates, <laughs> Simpsons. All there was a like a uh, there was like a little Red Riding Hood type, you know, like I don't I don't know what the word is, but it was like a McFarlane esque company. Like you started seeing, like I remember seeing all these like little companies pop up and like, Oh, that's cool. And that's cool. And then they were like, seemed to be almost as gone, gone almost as fast as they started coming out. Yeah. So you had people like, you know, Mezco who, you know, yeah. uh, came up uh, during that time as well. But then there's smaller places like Milo's workshop who put out the, uh, the Alice toys based on, uh, American McGee's computer game. Oh yeah. Which, you know, which some and, dark, and, creepy stuff there. Yeah, uh, BMA Toys, which was a spinoff of uh, former management from McFarlane, who put out uh, uh, Maximo figures for the Army of Zen game, um, which were really neat figures. Yeah. Uh, but they, came, but you know, this is another company that came and went, uh, you know, within just a couple of years. Um, uh, and John, uh, the company that Chris Dern started uh, when he. Uh, left, um, he was doing work with, um, uh, Resource and, and Plan B in Ohio. Uh, he started and John and their first license was the Dragon's Lair figures, uh, from Dragon's Lair 3D that they managed to, uh, get out, uh, the first, uh, wave of, which included, uh, you know, Dirk the Daring and Daphne and, uh, Mordrock the Wizard and Singe the Dragon. Uh, but again, you know, they, um, they fell by the wayside fairly quickly after that. So, yeah. uh, but there was a bit of a, it felt like a bit of a renaissance there. Yeah. Uh, but, and so that's where Gilded came in. It was kind of, you know, a little bit of the gold glimmer, but maybe not as, uh, as robust and, you know, as the, as the eighties, but, yeah. uh, some real fan, really fantastic product was made during that time. Yeah. Now, with, with doing your research and everything else for a lot of these uh, lines that, you know, ended, I don't want to say ended early because some of them <laughs> probably ended when they should have, um, but uh, or even ones that weren't produced. What what era is like the t- has been overall like the toughest to really find the information that you're looking for? Is there like a particular era of those three eras? Well, I mean, it's probably, you're probably going to have to go back and, you know, the, the earlier you get in the process, if you go back to the, you know, the mid to late seventies, you know, you're just going to have a hard time finding a lot of things, uh, mainly because records weren't kept. You know, there are no digital, rec- no digital records of anything back then. There are no digital cameras. Right. There's no internet. Uh, so you have to find a pack rat that worked at one of these companies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and fortunately we've come across a few of those. Right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, 
but otherwise, it, stuff's just lost to time. I mean, yeah. you know, you can spend six months working on a project, 12 months working on a project, in some cases, you know, a year and a half. And at the end of the day, if the company, for whatever reason, doesn't want to go to tooling, then you have all that work that either goes in a file cabinet or, or actually gets thrown out. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, it's just, it's horrible. It's a horrible thought. Uh, yeah. Well, especially for, for people like us who love these things, like, man, if the, just to, for me, you could give me like a raw sketch from like in humanoids or sectars where other people probably wouldn't care. And I'd be like, Oh my God, I'd love having this little sketch of a concept art. And to them, they just kind of, like you said, they just kind of tossed it out because, like, yeah, we don't really need this anymore. Yeah, I mean, but think about it in the, even in the in the aspects of your own job. Yeah. I mean, I'm a journalist, and so let's say I worked 18 months on, you know, all these stories, and when it came time to publish them, someone just said, mm, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like my, my wife works for, uh, she's a graphic designer for uh, NASA, and they just had the Mars rover landing right. today. And there's a, a time period, the seven minutes of terror, I think it's called, where they lose all connection. Right. And they don't know if they're going to get it back. And to your point, these people have spent years and years and years to do this. And then it comes down to those seven minutes with which are they going to get be able to get connected back to this thing. And if they don't, those years just went out the door <laughs> so yeah it's it's tough putting uh so i can imagine it's it's the same for these toy creators where it's like they they put all you know blood sweat and tears and and all their thought and thoughts into it and then they don't see it actually come to fruition sometimes through no fault of their own right exactly yeah, yeah. um so what in, and this is going to be a very, very difficult question, and I understand that. And if you want to break it down into the separate books or separate eras or something like that, totally fine. What was the biggest surprise toy line that you that you uncovered? Like, was there a particular toy line that you had no idea even existed out there? I'm sure there were several, but like that you were like, I never even thought that this could have been a toy line out there. There's uh, there's a couple of those in volume three. Uh, which I won't get into sure. because I want them to be a surprise. Sure. Um, but afterwards, after three is out, I'll be more than happy to talk about them. Yeah. Uh, in the first book, it was Krull. Okay. Because, because I was a fan of that movie. I am too. And yeah. I thought at the time it was such, I mean, it doesn't hold up very well. No, it does I not. It was, <laughs> I thought it was such a toyetic, to borrow Brian oh, yeah. phrase, yep. uh, movie. I mean, you had... Cyclops and you had stormtrooper like soldiers and you had giant spiders and yeah, and horses that spit fire out of their hooves. Yep. I mean, it was just there were toys scattered throughout that thing, yeah. And to think, you know, at the time, I was like, man, I wondered why there was no there was no toy line for that. And then you go about your business, and then 40 years later, you discover, well, guess what. There was one. Uh, <laughs> well, and I, that is always my example of a movie when people say, like, what movie do you think should be remade or could be remade today and it might actually be better? And I always point to Crawl. I love it for nostalgia purposes. Like you said, it doesn't hold up, but I can still watch it today and enjoy it because of the nostalgia for it. Yeah, so, so can I. But uh, it's absolutely one I go, oh, yeah, you could totally remake that today and I'd be happy if you were doing that. <laughs> Apparently the Russo brothers want to do it. Yes, they do. I did. I have heard uh, that. Yeah. So here's, here's a question think, about Kroll. Did I they ever make like that that whatever that spider 
Yes, thank you. Um, that would have been like a perfect like boomerang toy. I feel yeah, like um, there was a a Nerf style glaive yes. uh, under development at Knickerbocker uh, that would have had like maybe a, a a harder foam center with soft foam tips. Um, uh, there was no, unfortunately, there was no drawing or no. Uh, it never made it into prototype phase. But they were looking at that as well as the queen of the layer. Uh, um, yeah, the, the layer of this crystal spider. There was a playset that they had at least got to paper. Yeah. And I had never I, I unfortunately that paper either doesn't exist or we just couldn't find it uh, for the book. Um, and then there were 10 figures sculpted for that line. Yeah. And I only found evidence of three of them. Um, so uh, I would still love the opportunity to gaze upon them all because just based off what I saw, uh, they were pretty amazing for the time. Yeah. Now for, for me, the one that jumped out when I was looking through your books was the fleas. I never, they are, that's the most bizarre toy line I've ever seen in my life. And and that's got a great story behind it too. Okay. Uh, if you read the book, it's, it's all in there. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, that was uh, pitched by a young uh, John Handy at Mattel. Uh, John, uh, for the toy historians out there, may his name may be familiar yep. as one of the uh, earliest fathers of uh, Ninja Turtles. Yep. And, and uh, so that line, you know, he was fresh out of college pretty much. It was his first, uh, first pitch to management. Management. Uh, he was ecstatic. He went into the first marketing meeting, uh, that they had the Monday meeting that they were going to have to figure out how to, you know, how to, how to package this and sell this to consumers. And they were clipping along in the meeting and, uh, about 20 minutes in somebody raised their hand in the back of the, um, back of the, uh, the room there and basically pulled a Tom Hanks from, uh, from big and just said, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it either, to be honest. So I'm kind of glad yeah, someone did that. It turns, out it, was the, it turns out it was the marketing guy, and he was like, "Okay, let me help help me out here." He goes, uh, "You know, these toys are supposed to be aspirational to kids. Do you know a kid who wants to be a flea?" <laughs> so that guy, you know, people started scratching their heads, like, "Well, you know, no, nah, I, I think it, you know we can, you know, when we when we." Give them these different uh, these different personas or whatever, and we can get by with that. Blah blah blah. Because I think I still think parents would buy it for their kids. And he goes, "Well, there's your second problem. <laughs> if mom's going to be buying stuff for the kids, can you think of a creature more loathed by a parent than a flea? Maybe and leeches or something like yeah, that." But <laughs> yeah, they all just kind of stared at each other in the meeting. And uh, Handy said his shoulders kind of slumped forward and his heart sunk, and that was it. Yeah. End of end of line. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I mean, if you're gonna put out a line like Mad Balls and all that, and they don't make any damn sense, why not a line like this? <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, what the what the cool thing about Please was is it, it took in you know all three major uh, play con- constructs of the time. There were action figures to please themselves. There was plush in the playset with the dog. Yeah, and there were building toys with the 
the comb-based, uh, you know, walls, I guess, that you could fort walls, that you could dig into the side of this plush and create, you know, these, uh, these, these play scenarios. So it was a neat concept overall, but they just, it was one of those things they just could not figure out how to sell it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, it was, um, you know, even though it may have been fairly cheap to produce as a, uh, you know, as an action figure, um, you know, it, it was being pitched, I think, at the t- at a time where uh, uh, Mattel was losing a bit of ground with He-Man and, uh, and they were looking for maybe a cheaper price point to, to land on the boys' toys aisle. And so that was the, the kind of like the uh, motivation behind it. But at the end of the day, they just couldn't figure out how to sell it. Yeah. So in uh, a couple things, uh, or one one more question outside of this particular uh, Kickstarter, and then we'll get into this particular book and its Kickstarter. Um, in doing all of your your research, uh, and you know, for the other two books, and even for this book and everything else, I, I know you you mentioned earlier that you're uh, a catch and release type person. You like you love the hunt and everything else, and I'm sure you, you still have things in your collection and everything. But you know, I, I know you like finding the things uh, even more. Uh, do you have certain things in your collection after doing these books now that like, like rare prototypes or anything like that, that are just like the, the, are like ni- nice grail pieces for you now from, from doing these? Yeah. One of the things that I, I really wanted to stress at least early on, uh, with all the people who are entrusting me with, you know, inviting me into their homes and all this stuff is that I, I wanted to reassure them that I wasn't there for their stuff. Right, right. Because I, I know that a lot of a lot of guys set up uh, these kind of um, these kind of things where they're just they're looking for an in. So they tell a to- an ex toy guy that they're writing a story or writing a book or trying to get a documentary off the ground when all they really want is in their house and rummage and they rummage through their stuff. Right. Uh, so it was really important to me not to be that guy at sure. least initially. Sure. Uh, but you know, there were opportunities, uh, you know, put in front of me, not by my prompting, but by, you know, the actual subjects like, Hey, you know, are you interested in any of this stuff? Or do you know anybody who might be interested in any of this stuff? So at the end of the day, I made two transactions for three figures. Okay. Uh, I, and all of them were related to earthworm Jim. Nice. Because I love that cartoon for whatever reason. Yeah, it's a great uh, one. Yeah, and so I uh, I have in my collection I have a painted hard copy of Evil Jim from from series two unproduced. I have a wax of Clutch, who was a snail figure that was basically invented by Playmates. He was not a uh, a can a canon Earthworm Jim. Uh, character, but he was meant to be in the initial wave of figures, but he didn't come out. Uh, and I have a hard copy, unpainted hard copy of Samurai Jim. Nice. From the second wave unproduced. Um, since that time, I've added an unpainted hard copy of the Hamster Nader from Series 2. <laughs> uh, and I started collecting uh, 2D stuff, art, from the line. So I have a couple of pencil on vellum uh, originals of the turnarounds for copter gym, for copter head gym for extendo arm gym. And then I also have um, one that was the 
uh, Jim Chopper, or yeah, the, the motorcycle that they did put out. Very, very cool. Uh, I'll have to send you a picture uh, a- once I find my my sketchbook that has it in it. But uh, I have themed sketchbooks, and one of them is a, a video game themed sketchbook. And uh, a good friend of ours, Brian Shear, started that sketchbook for me, and I had a list of characters that you, he could choose from to draw and put in that sketchbook. And the very first character that he saw that he that starts off that sketchbook for me, he drew uh, Earthworm Jim. So I'll have to take a picture and send it to you because he did an amazing job on it. So. Yeah, I, I love Jim. I love the the whole uh, the cartoon, the the idea of a worm being a superhero it just took me for some reason. Yeah, someone learned someone learned how to market a a, a worm inside a spacesuit better than marketing a flea. So yeah. <laughs> there's a lesson learned there that if you get the right angle, you can market almost anything. Sometimes so. it's just timing, you know. <laughs> yep. yep. So. Uh, uh, before getting into the the meats and potatoes of, of the current book, um, this probably a very obvious question to ask you uh, with the year that we're or almost now we're going into a second year. But uh, with 2020 being the way that it was and everything else, what was the biggest challenge for you in doing this third book that maybe you didn't face doing the other two books? The inability to travel. Yeah. Uh, was the main one. I mean, and and uh, and it wasn't that I was necessarily, uh, you know, sidelined or, or fearful or whatever. I mean, there was, of course, some of that. But sure. uh, but at the same time, I've got, you know, these people have to be receptive to me coming to their house. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's very house. true. So and a lot of these guys are not spring chickens. So right. you know, it was. <laughs> It was, uh, you know, it would have been awkward at best for me to fly out to L.A. and try to meet with some of these, you know, ex-Mattel guys or ex-Playmates guys. And, and I get out there and they're like, uh, no, you're not coming to my house I don't, <laughs> uh, because of all this. And uh, so I was like, well, OK. So I was fortunate on two fronts. Number one, I had a lot of material already. Okay. Uh, because I've been gathering this stuff for, you know, almost five years at the point where I started uh, volume three. I had, there was obviously stuff that was bled over from volume one and volume two that just didn't make it. Sure. Uh, and usually that's not because I don't like the line or, or, or whatever. It's almost always because there's just not enough information there. Gotcha. I've tried to, I've tried to get both V and tiger sharks in from from the verse from the first book, but I just haven't had not been able to uncover enough information. And, uh, and finally, I've got to the point to where okay, it's do or die, pretty much. Uh, if if this third book is going to be my last one for a while or last one period, uh, then I need to get those in here uh, because they're favorites of mine. So oh, yeah. uh, so I was able to you know dig up enough. Um, and my rule of thumb is I need to be able to make six compelling pages okay. in order to make a chapter. Um, and so I was finally able to, to, to put that together and do that for those two lines. Well, I'm glad to hear Tiger Shark because I am a, it, that's one of those low level lines, uh, properties out there that I am actually a big fan of. I remember watching it as a yeah. cartoon. I didn't really have the toys, but I always saw the toys and thought it was cool. And I, I had constructs as a kid and I actually did build their ship using the constructs building blocks. So <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, beyond that, it was, you know, the access to drawings and prototypes and that sort of thing. I had to rely on the kindness of strangers a lot. Sure. Uh, 
to be able to scan some of this stuff for me. And, and, and so you know, the method, the method kind of became, um, once I had somebody, uh, I was in contact with somebody who I thought would be, you know, uh, a, a good person for me to, to, you know, to assist me with some of these stuff. You know, I have a, a couple of, or like a case or, or, or two of volume twos that are dinged up. You know, they got damaged in shipping or what have you. So I use those as kind of um, an olive branch yeah. and say, let me send you a copy of the book and you take a look at it. And if you like what you see and you still want to talk to me, let's let's talk. And so that opened a lot of doors, actually, because, you know, when I describe it, you know, just in an email or over the phone or whatever, sometimes it just doesn't people don't get it. It, just, it doesn't click. Yeah. But when I see it in front of them, it's like, Oh, this is what this guy's doing. Okay. <laughs> I get this. So that, um, that helped tremendously with a couple of lines that are, are going to be in this, uh, in this book. And I actually had guys mailing me prototypes through the mail. Oh, wow. So, so I could take my own pictures. Wow. Uh, That's a lot of trust right there. There was a ton of trust. And <laughs> You know, and they and they offered. It was yeah. like I didn't really press the issue at all. Yeah. Uh, it was like, well, can I just send these to you? And I'm wow. like, hey, man, if you're willing to. Yeah. And so, you know, I offered to pay pay for shipping uh, and then return them. You know, once I was done with them, and and more than one person took me up on that offer at the end of the day, which was amazing and yeah. wonderful all at the same time. Sure. Got a bunch of art sent to me that had a huge portfolio of art sent to me that way. Wow. Uh, that I sat there one day and scanned and, you know, and then got back and tucked it and repackaged it and sent it back to its owners. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, those were the two main challenges. The fact that, uh, you know, it was harder for me to connect with new, um, new potential sources. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to, and mainly because B, I wasn't able to travel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to, to get into the, this book, uh, so this is, this is volume three. Uh, I will tell our listeners and, and I'm sure you'll back me up on this a hundred percent. Uh, having looked through volume one and looked through volume two, and I assume volume three will be the same way. You do not need to have volume one or volume two to enjoy volume three. This isn't a continuation of a story. Uh, you just have to enjoy the stories of these toys uh, and uh, learning about them and everything else. So if, if your first time ever getting one of these books is volume three, you can absolutely pick up volume three and not have to worry that you're missing something. Yeah. They're not sequels. Right. Uh, it's just a continuation of the same style of, of storytelling uh, with all new toy lines as the subjects. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I named volume one, volume one was not because I had any intention of doing a volume two. It was because I wanted people to, I didn't want people to think that that book was the end all be all gotcha. because there's so much of this stuff out there. Yeah. Um, and okay. Not, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It would be nice if it was well accepted and I can do another one. Right. <laughs> but, but, but initially that was not the, 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 the reason I called it volume one. I just wanted people to realize that this is, as I've said before, this is the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Yes. Yeah. And I'm still, after three books, I'm still no closer yeah. to the actual tip of the iceberg. I'm still working on the tip of the tip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's just a lot of this information. There's just a lot of this stuff out there. It's just a matter of finding it. 
Yeah, and it and it's uh beautifully done. Uh I love like the I love how you've even done the covers with all the you know, concept art and everything else uh, that just looks awesome. Well, um, a lot a lot of that was me. Uh a lot of that was also my my buddy Josh Seaton who I plug every time uh, anyone praises the way the book looks. Without Josh, uh they would look a lot rattier <laughs> on the inside <laughs> least, than they do. Uh he's a professional uh, uh, graphic artist who works for a, a, a major uh, commercial realtor. Uh, and so he does really fancy brochures on upscale real estate, you know, build commercial buildings and country clubs and that sort of thing. Uh, so he's got a really good eye and, and his, his overall vision and mine actually worked really well together. Nice. Um, because I mean, one of the things I, w- I always wanted to get across to people is that these books are intended to be art books. They're not intended to be guides of any kind. Right. So you're not going to see, you know, a, a turn, uh, you know, a figure and then the, the, the four turnarounds of that figure and all of its weapons laid or it's, you know, yeah. accessories laid out nicely. Yeah. It's just, it's just not that kind of a book. Yeah. They're uh, a cool, they're a very, very cool, unique coffee table book. Like you can, yeah. uh, which is where mine usually are sitting. Uh, so, uh, cause I, I've had people come over the, the house, uh, before all of this fun stuff and, uh, and they would see it sitting there and, and granted anyone that comes over my house is not a stranger to toys or comics and things like that being in my house, but they do notice the book. Uh, and, and they're like, Oh, what's that? I'm like, Oh, you got to look through that. <laughs> and, uh, so it works really well. Do you have to get permission or anything from the toy manufacturers? I mean, even though I, some of the stuff, if it's never made, I guess they never copyrighted it or anything. Like, I, I don't know how that I'm curious if you have to clear it with like, you know, Mattel for some of the stuff or beforehand. Yeah. Herein lies the gray area, gentlemen. Um, the answer is, well, the answer to, did I clear this with anybody? The answer is no. Uh, and the reason is fairly simple. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> true. True. Um, it's very true. But I mean, here's the, here's the deal. Um, and I'm, I'll probably get blowback for saying this, uh, but it's at its root. It is the truth. Any prototype that now rests outside of the walls of the company that, uh, you know, that belonged to when it was created is stolen property. Mm. Yeah. Now, I know for a fact that there are tons of prototype collectors out there who have tons of toy prototypes. So does that mean that those were all stolen? Right. Right. Yeah. Good, good bet that yeah, by the rule of law, right. they were, they walked out the back door. Uh, you know, when the company closed down or they got thrown in the trash and somebody dug them out. Now, maybe that's not the definition of stealing that most people are used to. Right. But you know, under the by, technical sense, it is. But yeah, by the, same, by the same token, any of that stuff that's in the private sector right now should not be. Uh, so, you know, I've heard stories like, well, this stuff was gifted to this employee when he left. Okay, did the person who did the gifting actually have authority to do that? Right, right. Probably not. Yeah. 
So, you know, it's it's a real gray area, and I'm talking charcoal gray. Well, and I was, yeah, and I was going to say, and, and thankfully that gray area works in your favor. So, yeah, um, I mean, to the point to where if a toy company came after me for any of this, I would I would simply state, you know, I, we would have a conversation and I would say, well, look, you know, who let this stuff out? Right. It wasn't me. Right. I'm not, you know, I'm not in charge of, of, of monitoring your back door. Right. Well, and, and not only that, but it's also like, uh, and not that you're turning anyone over, but at the same time, it's like, look, I, I obtained these images and this, this work from private collectors. So it, which yeah, again I mean, fits into your, what you're saying, which is who let that stuff out then. Well, a lot of it early on, I wanted to make a, a really strong point of taking my own photographs as well. Yeah which I still managed to do throughout these three volumes to the, to the point where, you know, I don't get not necessarily a toy company, but maybe the toy company's photographer. Right. You know, come after me for using some image or something. Right. Right. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, like I said, when I started this project, I went to as many professional authors as I knew at the time, which was a handful and asked them all the same question. Right. Was it easier to ask for forgiveness or permission? Yeah. And all of them to a key said forgiveness every yeah. time. Yeah. Because what would have happened had I asked permission is that it would have sat there on some lawyer's desk inside of a toy company. Yeah. And when I pressed them on the issue, they would have said no. Right. Why? Because no is the easy answer. Yep. No doesn't doesn't mean anybody has to do any extra work. Right. There's no effort involved in no. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I would think. I would think too that, you know, you know, you're not, it's not like you're making a ton of money off this to begin with, but it, in some cases, <laughs> looking at, you know, looking at what you have here on the Kickstarter, you've got V, you've got Skeleton Warriors and, and the Superman Lives stuff. I would think that the potential that like, you know, I'm pretty certain V you can probably get in a digital format. You know, I know they've had DVDs in the past because I've owned them. Um, I would, you would think that the, Maybe this, you know, somebody looks and goes, oh, man, V, I remember that. Maybe I'll go track it down and, and buy it on Amazon or whatever, and they get a few few coins in their pocket from it Yeah, um, I mean, versus the costs or whatever involved with trying to go after you for it. Now, it's a tough call. It, I mean, uh, you know, I I was fearful early on that something might come up. You know, young lawyer inside one of these companies trying to make a name for himself sure. stumbles across my book and decides to make an example, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, I have had a lot of toy company participation in these books now. Yeah. Uh, so many, and many of them who don't necessarily, who, who don't necessarily have, or haven't necessarily participated up to this point, I know have had employees buy the books. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that it's a secret that these are going on now. Right. Right. Uh, so I, I would have thought that if it was going to be trouble, I would have heard about it already. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, at the same time, toy companies like Playmates have been fantastic to work with. That's cool. Uh, you know, and, and then you, you, the toy companies that aren't around anymore, you know, they don't care. Right. Uh, <laughs> But I've talked to the old, the old management of, of Palisades, and I'm, I'm good friends with Jerry, who used to run Soda, and you know those those type companies. They're you know they've been very helpful to me. That's awesome. Uh, 
because it kind of keeps their legacy alive. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just to, going, going back to what we were talking about earlier, like to, for them to be able to see some of these things that they did put effort into being used in some format probably gives them, gives them a good feeling inside. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I know we mentioned tiger sharks are going to be in this one. Uh, I know that wasn't on the Kickstarter itself. I don't think I saw on there, but, but you mentioned it here. Um, V skeleton warriors and Superman lives. Uh, Mm -hmm. Eric, did you have any specific questions you want? And when we go into the book here, obviously Blake, I mean, you'll probably do it anyways, but I just want to let you know, like anything we ask you about the new book that you don't want to disclose, obviously don't feel any obligation to do so. Um, but, uh, Eric, was there any particular questions you wanted to ask about V itself? Cause I know you're a big fan. Yeah. It, well, I mean, one, I was curious about what else is in the book besides those couple things, but you've already said there's a couple of, of like hidden ones in there. So I get it. But like the, like I had, I remember as a kid having the 12 inch, the 12, <laughs> I'm going to try that in English. <laughs> I had the 12 inch, uh, V figure, the one that the, you know, the, you pulled the skin off the head and it was a lizard, right. lizard face underneath and all that. But I'm looking at the photos. I'm like, are those three and three quarter like line that they were going to make? And I'm, it's like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's that right there. That is the one that hooked me on deciding to jump on the Kickstarter for this book. Yeah. Uh, the, the interesting thing about V was, yeah, I mean, in the Toy Fair catalog, which I guess would have been 84. Uh, LJN's 84 catalog, you know, they showed the picture of the visitor 12 inch as well as a line of four, I believe, planned three and three quarter inch figures and two vehicles, three vehicles. There was a Jeep, a Trans Am looking car for whatever reason, and uh, a shuttle, a small uh, uh, visitor's shuttle. Um, I was fortunate enough to come across, uh, some prototypes from that line, as well as a healthy amount of 2D stuff, um, that has probably, I know the 2D stuff hasn't too, not too many eyes have seen that. Um, but the one actual figure that, uh, I came across was one that I think is pretty readily uh seen out there and that's the diana figure oh, uh, nice. i know that uh i know the sculptor who did that work uh we're really good friends um and i actually know the guy that now owns that uh as well um who's a private collector so uh and i'm still actually speaking actively with ljn a, a uh, ljn personnel a new ljn person who I have not talked to yet, just reached out to me yesterday. <laughs> so uh, that may lead to actually me being able to squeeze a bit more stuff in there, depending on what they, uh, what they have. I know that they've said that they have some tiger shark stuff that I'm interested in. Nice. Uh, so um, I'm hopeful that maybe there's some V stuff as well. Um, Cause LJN, you know, Right at the towards the end there, they did have a pretty healthy mix of stuff that you know there was those fo- that photon line that uh, I think they only put out the two figures that came with the guns or whatever that was a you know it was that action figure laser tag hybrid um, 
line and there were but there was a play set and about six or seven other figures that were supposed to come out for that line that never did um you know there were a handful of stuff related to dune that didn't come out um oh ljn is the one that had the dune line yeah okay i i remember having stilgar as a toy from the dune line which yeah. I, I didn't know there were more still to come <laughs> yeah and uh i believe uh, and then there was the LJN, uh, the Indiana Jones line. Uh, oh, yeah. The second year of those figures. Yep. That, uh, that also, uh, didn't make it out. Uh, but I think those prototypes have been fairly widely, at least images have been fairly widely circulated. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully I'll show you a few of these things you've never seen. Um, and uh and a few tiger sharks things you've never seen that'd be awesome and the the one that was surprising to me and i and i know there's been a lot uh as far as documentaries and everything else that you know how close the movie almost got made but i didn't realize that superman lives was actually going to have a toy line also (laughs) as crazy as that movie seemed like it was going to be to know that there was already work being done towards a toy line that's amazing yeah i mean i really enjoyed that documentary that john Snow. Yeah. documentary on that uh may he rest in peace um but uh when it came to the toy line i uh i re- recall seeing this image in tomarts of yeah. a oddly armored superman figure uh that uh, they said at the time was for superman lives and it was the only image that was out there that i had seen based on you know uh there was an actual uh, prototype from uh, from that line. Uh, and then a few years back, some drawings surfaced mm. uh, uh, online of, you know, apparently some early uh, concept art um, from ha- from inside Hasbro. Right. Uh, and so I did some poking around and talked to some folks who, uh, who, you know, knew about the line, but didn't work directly on it. And then I worked my way to the people who actually worked on the line. And I found some really cool stuff. That's cool. Uh, I was, I was very excited because I didn't think that there was a lot of work done on that line either. But when you think about it, that movie was in pre-production for almost a year. And a yeah, half. and if you're going to release something in time for the release of the movie, then you, you need to start working on stuff early, on. yeah. And uh, so I talked to Kevin Smith uh, for the book uh, about this line because he was the, you know, initially he was the draft, he had the draft, he wrote the draft of the script that they were starting with. Uh, but then once Tim Burton got hired on, they threw that script out. But that was the script that circulated inside of Hasbro initially. And so that was the script that most of the early toy work was based off of. Wow. Um, so, you know, you will see uh, a lot of 2D items uh, based on that, um, the, the early concepts for the toy line, well beyond what's already out there on the Internet. Uh, you will also see at least one, possibly two. No, actually, you're going to see three different sculpts that you have oh. not seen. Wow, beyond, that's awesome. Beyond that Superman sculpt that's kind of out there already. That's crazy. Um, 
you know, I was, uh, I got lucky and, and, you know, found the right people. Hey, that's, uh, and sometimes that's all it takes. So <laughs> yeah, that's, what it, that's what it takes. It, it, you find them, you gain that, you know, you, 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 they, you gain their trust. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and they start sharing with you, and it's well. I say they you gain their trust because they know that they start learning why you're actually there, and it's and it's not for any um, selfish reasons, and it's not for yeah. trying to yeah, manipulate it, them in any way. It's it's truly yeah. to get to that you have a genuine interest in in all of this stuff. So, yeah, yeah. And so it was. Uh, I was really excited when I uncovered what I uncovered for Superman Lives. That's awesome. So as of this recording, there's 21 days now. I am off. From work tomorrow, so I actually will have time to put this together. So when people actually hear this, if you download it the first day, there'll be 20 days left. Um, mm-hmm. Last I looked, you're at thirty thousand eighty dollars of a goal of thirty-five thousand. So we're at just over, we're almost at eighty-six yeah. percent, um, which is awesome. Uh, and uh, uh, the thing I will tell. Uh, listeners, uh, I mentioned it with past Kickstarters and, and especially having gone through my own is do not let this get down to the wire. Back this thing early. Don't go, Oh, I'll back it. I'll, I'll, I'll get there and I'll back it. No, back it now. Like if you're listening to the episode, pause it, go back it <laughs> and then come back and finish listening to the episode. Um, because there's nothing more nerve wracking for any creator than to get down to the last few days and, and be on that borderline where you're not sure if you're going to get there or not. Um, with having two books in, I, I know it's more likely that people will back it, but you just never know sometimes being two books in the third book comes out and people aren't backing it like they should be. So, um, so I cannot stress that enough it's a hundred percent worth the money. Uh, and, and you guys know, I don't, number one, I don't bring anyone on here that I don't support myself. You know, I don't bring anyone on here who I don't believe in the project. I don't, I'm not sponsored by anybody. And I do that intentionally for a reason so that I can bring on people that I want to talk to about their projects and, uh, about things that they're, they're doing. So, um, so yeah, go check out the Kickstarter toys, uh, just type in toys at time forgot and it'll pop right up. Um, there are some stretch goals, which, uh, you can tell us as much as you want to tell us about them. Uh, the thing I love that you do with your stretch goals, which is perfect for this type of book is each time we reach a new stretch goal, it's adding more content to the book, which is something that helps, I I think should help motivate people to want to reach those stretch goals. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things where it's um you know there's content um that's there that that uh you know just can be unlocked I yeah. guess by uh, by reaching these stretch goals and this time around I did you know I made it to where you know each increment is a new chapter in each um uh section yeah. so there'll be you know a, a gilded age a, darker times and a golden age chapter that can be unlocked. Um, and you know, uh, if the uh, universe is with us and, you know, we go beyond that third stretch goal, then it will probably just, uh, I'll probably just rotate those, yeah. uh, again yeah. to where, where, uh, even more new can be unlocked. And once we hit those stretch goals, uh, as stretch goals are, 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 hit i'll reveal the chapter 
because right now it just says, you know, a gilded age. Right. Or a to Z. So once the chapters hit, um, once those goals are hit, I'll reveal what the chapter is. Nice. Nice. Um, and I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this, uh, and obviously, like I mentioned earlier, do not answer this if you don't want to, but I, with what our show is titled and everything else, I have to ask, since the first two books had Star Wars stuff in it, will we be seeing more Star Wars stuff in the third book? If you would have asked me that question a month ago, I would have told you no. Okay. <laughs> However, you're asking me this question now, so I will tell you maybe. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> All I can think of now is, so you're saying there's a chance. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Um, so one thing I want to do with you is uh, something we do with anyone uh, we have on as guests. Uh, we have a section we call the firing range, which is 10 questions. Uh, that we will ask you. They're typically this or that type questions, uh, usually tailored towards our guest. Uh, sometimes there are debates we've had on the show and things like that. Um, uh, you can answer them any way you want. So even though I may only give you two choices, if you want to go completely outside the box and answer something that is true to you, uh, feel free to do so. Um, but uh, it's just something we have a little bit of fun with. Uh, and so just whatever pops in your head when I ask these questions, and we'll go from there. Okay. All right. The firing ring. In the past, uh, the question that we used to ask was Star Wars or Star Trek, but uh, I retired that question as uh, our first question with episode 250, I believe it was. Um, so I came up with a new starter question, and I think I know the answer to this one already based on the conversations we had earlier, but since the show is called Star Joe's, Star Wars or G.I. Joe? Uh, Star Wars. That's, based on what you were talking about earlier, I assume that was probably the case, but... <laughs> Do I get to answer this one, too? <laughs> Go right ahead. Yeah, you haven't heard any of these before, so... No, I say if you retired them all, it's like... I, I gotta go Star Wars here. Yeah, I haven't retired all of them, but that one, this one, that was a new one. So, um, all right, Blake, uh, Joe or Cobra? Cobra. Okay. Uh, Autobot or Decepticon? Hmm, Decepticon. Okay. Uh, favorite turtle or turtle character? Donatello. Oh, very nice. That's a new one. Yeah. Um, the, you are probably the only person I can ask this question to. Uh, I don't know if you'll have an answer for it, but you are uh, probably the only guest I can think of that could even answer this question. It's completely off the wall. Favorite sectar? Uh, Spydrex. Nice. Yeah, I don't know if anyone else would have a favorite sectar, but I what like. Was the, what was the giant <laughs> bee hand puppet? That the the I dragonfly. It Maybe it's a dragonfly. Yeah, that's, the, that's like the only sectar toy I had. Yeah. That would be mine. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um. Since uh, playing off of your first two books, since you uh, had them uh, spotlighted in both books, favorite Muppet character? Uh, Uncle Deadly. Nice. That's a good one. Ooh, that's, a, that's, that's a, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Uh, uh, followed closely by Dr. Tooth. Oh, very good. I think uh, based on our conversation, I know the answer to this one, uh, but I'm going to ask it anyways. When it comes to toys, favorite video game franchise? Earthworm Jim. <laughs> I, I thought that might be the answer, but I wasn't sure. 
Yeah, because I actually, uh, you know, it's weird because I found everything backwards. So I got the cartoon first and went right. back and played the game. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, it was one of my favorite Sega Genesis games. Very nice. Are you talking, does that, clarification, does that mean favorite toy line based off of a yes. video game? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Marvel or DC? Marvel. What do you wish you had? Uh, this this might be really tough. Uh, I'm sure it will be with all the research you've done. What do you wish had a toy line but never did? I want my crawl toys. You want your crawl toys? Okay. <laughs> that was easier than I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is the biggest? And then the last question: What is the biggest Grail piece you have or have not obtained? Like what? what is out there still that you would love to own or what is something that you do own that is like, this is, this is my ultimate grail piece that I have. I would like to complete the set of series two unproduced earthworm gem figures. There are a handful still that I don't have. Okay. Um, that's a very expensive proposition. Sure. (laughs) So I would, uh, I would settle for having, uh, the 2d, like turnarounds, the original pencil vellum uh, turnaround representations of each of them. If I couldn't actually track down the prototype. Very, very cool. Awesome. All right. You survived the firing range. Uh, so <laughs> with that, uh, I want to say thank you once again for coming on. It's been awesome talking with you. Uh, I absolutely would love to have you back on again once the book is out. Uh, and with where things are, this book better get funded at this point. Uh, I will personally blame all of my listeners if it doesn't. Uh, (laughs) But uh, anything else you wanted to put out there for people? Just anything else you think that they would might entice them when it comes to this book or anything else that they should know about uh, about it when it comes to this? Yeah, just, you know, uh, be sure to visit the Kickstarter. um, uh, Check out the uh, reward tiers. Uh, We got a little fancy this time around with some deluxe sets of things. Uh, the other thing is, um, I know a lot of folks have asked about volume one. Volume one has been out of print and out of stock for almost two years now. Um, we didn't make it part of this Kickstarter for logistical reasons, but we are planning to reprint volume one this year. Nice. Very nice. So, I, good, because so I, I want one. Yeah. <laughs> This is going to be, you know, so don't skip on volume three because you don't think you're going to be able to get a one because yeah. you will. Yeah, and you can uh, get volume one, two with this Kickstarter. So there are 50 sets available. Nice. Uh, there are currently nine, nine left. Yeah, not all of them have been taken, but it's getting close. All right. That's the one you don't want to sleep on is volume two because that's the one I'm going to have the least of. Right. Uh, once one, once one's reprinted, and of course three comes in. Uh, so, uh, that's going to be the next one that sells out. Um, big bad toy store still has a few in stock. Uh, they're my retail partner with these books. Um, so, and I still have some, uh, that I can sell independent of the Kickstarter. Um, all you need to do is visit my, visit the book's Facebook page. There's not an actual page for the book, uh, that you can go and buy. You just buy them directly from me off social media. Uh, but facebook.com slash toys at time forgot, uh, will give you all the information you need, uh, 
to acquire one from me directly. Uh, or like I said, Big Bad still has some in stock. Um, yeah, and just follow social media um, and uh, and follow and follow the Kickstarter. There will be plenty of news rolling in, you know, as the Kickstarter progresses. Um, and yeah, I'm just I'm thankful for the support to date, and uh, you know, it's it's a real uh, treat to see the reception that these books have gotten over the past several years, and I'm happy to bring the trilogy to a close as it were very nice uh and, and quite the trilogy it, it will be too so i'm i'm looking forward to it um and if people go to starjoes.com uh where you where you can find this episode obviously you can find it through all the normal podcast ways but you can also go to starjoes.com to find the episode uh there will be links to the kickstarter as well as the facebook page for toys that time forgot so um, so you can just go to starjoes.com and, and go to this episode and the links will be there for you as well. So, uh, to make life hopefully maybe even a little easier to find it. So, um, I know p- typing in stuff, sometimes it, it's cumbersome. So if you can just point and click, it works so much better. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, again, I appreciate you coming on the episode. Uh, and like I said, once the book's out, uh, we'll definitely look to have you on again so we can actually talk about some of the experiences that you had with, with the properties that, that are actually in there. Uh, you won't have to keep a secret anymore. Uh, so awesome. All right. Uh, well, everyone, uh, Eric, is there anything that you wanted to mention or, or throw out there? Just a quick, uh, throw out to uh my emotional support canadian he knows who he is Uh, (laughs) i think i know who that is too uh you know him (laughs) uh so with that said uh eric you want to do the closing with me uh sure okay so uh so you can again you go to starjoes.com you can find everything there uh you can email starjoespodcast at gmail.com uh we have facebook group uh fan page all that fun stuff twitter instagram all that's going on uh, I am going to be getting more stuff out on YouTube probably this coming weekend. So, uh, look for that because Turtles Last Ronin Volume Issue 2 came out and Star Wars High Republic. And I want to talk about all those things and get video reviews out. So look for that stuff too. Uh, and I may make a plug for Toys at Time Forgotten, one of those videos too. So, um, <laughs> get, get that audience on board. So uh, with that, we'll go ahead and close the episode by saying the Force will be with you. Because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone.